One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. And this week on the show, we have someone who I've been wanting to get on for quite a while now. Well, just about as long as we've been doing the show. And that is Cassie. She was one of the original residents of Panorama slash Bergheim, but very much Panorama, and is someone who has really done the European DJ circuit. She's also been a resident at Circo Loco and has, um, yeah been there and experienced pretty much the whole thing and she is also someone who has opinions which is good on a podcast in which opinions are supposed to be expressed so yeah great to have her on looking forward to getting into the conversation we talk about obviously DJing but also some of the peripheral goings on should we say around DJs at the moment around musicians the um, obligations that are put on people to think a certain way and act a certain way. So, yeah, we dig in some quite meaty stuff, actually, during the course of the conversation. So, um, good, 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 good. Thanks to all of you who have left us a review or a rating in the last week. I kind of pushed the boat out a little bit on last week's episode with Chris leaving. In my appeal for those ratings and reviews, they really do help the show. We're 20 episodes deep now. This is episode 20, so... I've been thinking about ways of monetizing. Oh, I hate that word. You know what I mean. We haven't got ads on the show, obviously, and I'm pretty loath to go down that road. But it does cost money to get this thing on the airwaves every week. So I'm thinking about various options. Obviously, there's stuff like Patreon and Substack. So I'm considering at the moment the way to take this forward most certainly not going to put the main podcast behind a paywall though i'm very reluctant to do that i'm very keen to keep this free to wear but maybe we can look at doing some extra bonus stuff for subscribers and that kind of thing tends to be the way that it works over on those kinds of platforms so yeah i'm just looking into it at the moment so um yeah stand by for developments 
on that score. So yeah, if you didn't leave us a review last week, then do it. Didn't leave us a rating. Hit that five-star button. Join us in the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. It's a hot flush Discord server with a Not A Diving Podcast channel in it. And follow the Spotify playlist for much of the music that we talk about the show. There's some great tunes in there this week and as there were last week with Chris leaving. So um, yeah, I'll be back after this main section of the pod to talk about releases. I've got a tune out this Friday, 27th of May, actually. So I'll talk about that after this, but without further delay, here is Cassie. Cassie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm okay, actually. Yes, I'm good. It's a lovely day here in Austria and the sun is shining and I have nothing to complain about. So, yeah. Whereabouts in Austria do you live? Um, in the wine country, like an hour's drive from Vienna Vienna Airport. Lovely. Is that, is that near where you grew up? That's exactly where I grew up. I'm in an apartment right behind the property I grew up in. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. How was that moving back there? <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I have to say it was very strange. But we did it in the pandemic or just at the beginning. We just, we escaped Spain last second um, before we couldn't land anymore in Austria because everything was just like next day, midnight, no more landing of planes. And um, yeah, so that was a bit of a shock, but it was just the best decision ever because of my mom. She was safer here in Austria and, you know, had all her doctors here and everything just in case something would have happened. She's 85 um, mm. now. Well, she wasn't two years ago. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, we had to come here. It was just the best. Were you in Ibiza before yes. that? Yes, sorry. Yes, we were. We flew okay. from the paradise <laughs> into, <laughs> into another paradise, actually. But, yeah. Okay, well, we're definitely going to talk about Ibiza, but um, before we get into like that, I've just got a just got a question to jump in with, which was well, actually, I've, I've in my in my list of notes, I've got a whole bunch of quotes. Actually, you're you're an extremely quotable person. I've I've realised like reading a bunch of your interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely are. But um, what I had written down was well, it says being political to me is something that is completely necessary. And you said that in a, I think you said that in the context of coming from a sort of mixed race background, but it got me thinking like, given the current political situation, geopolitical situation and all the stuff that's going on in the world and, and actually not, not just the current situation, everything that's been happening in the last few years, everything is just you know, apparently just gone to shit and you know, everyone has had to pick a side. Like, how do you sort of feel about yeah, like, as an art, as an, as an artist, being public about that sort of stuff and actually, you know, engaging with it? Well, as a person, I think it's extremely important to have, like, a, a conviction of something, you know? And, uh, and, like, where does politics start? I mean, being political just means having certain convictions. Doesn't it, It's not necessarily just connected to political parties and left and right and up and down and all of that nonsense. It's just that important because we grew up with it but I, I I call it facetiously nonsense because I don't really understand what left or right means anymore you know I don't really like it's it's been a bit clearer when we were young because you you had people that were caring for the working class and and then you had people that were caring for 
uh, other things, you know, and uh, uh, now uh, it doesn't seem to be like this anymore. I think no one cares for anyone anymore. So um, it's just gone all haywire. Yes, I think as a, as a private person, you have to have your convictions in order to, to live life with passion and, and, and happiness, I think. And uh, also, if you can, 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 I always thought if I'm very convinced of things and if I'm a political person or if I'm a, yeah, let's say passionate person, or, I grew up in a Catholic boarding school or with a Catholic boarding school. I grew up in a Catholic, well, I went to a Catholic boarding school for some of my school time and I found it, and it was an all girls school and I found it very interesting. I did like it. I went to a normal school for like, two, three years and then went back to the old one because I preferred being in a in a class just with girls because I thought we had more freedom to express who we are and it was like more regimented under, okay, girls are good with languages and nice with knitting and not so good with maths, you know. That was more the boy-girl boy, uh, boy school and the girl school was like, ah, she's really good at maths, she's really good at this and she's... I, I, I thought you had more freedom to pick who you are um, and really develop more, um, yeah, graciously also, I guess. And uh, um, I already back then I saw, because it was also part of the socialist youth for, for a short short time, just to, to go on holidays with them because they did nice holiday trips and my parents were quite, like, they, let, they voted for uh, right and left depending on issues. They were not political as such, but obviously had strong convictions because my mom was white, my dad was black, um, which is also like, um, you know, something that in the 70s was quite rare, especially in Austria. Mm. <laughs> and uh, uh, not so much in London, because all my parents' friends were like mixed from everywhere and everything and not only black and white, literally religion and other countries from the East and from the Caribbean and what Africa and a true mix of people and uh, so I grew up with that that would be normal but then uh, that's not normal to some so if you're different to the norm you have convictions and you have to be political at times and you also understand if other people do it and have convictions and I've always liked people that have strong convictions even if they're not to my liking I still respect them unless they're like really far crazy psychopaths. Okay, but it, but in terms of like the public face, um, you know, as an artist, because I kind of related to something else you said, um, and another quote I had concerning, well, the way it was turned was a kind of lack of authenticity. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, what you exactly what that meant, but like, but just in terms of like how how artists are sort of expected to take a a stand on certain issues now and but actually i find that you know you're expected to take a, a stand in particular and it's actually not it's not so much that people want to hear your view it's just like do you agree with this thing that you have to agree with i mean does that resonate with you yeah does, this is something i've been discussing with um friends in the business you know um mm. and it's a uh, well it's an extremely interesting time and challenging time i would say because it's like, um, in some ways, I feel like we're, we're in, um, you know, a William Golding novel or, yeah. or George Orwell. If you don't say this, we are not going to like you anymore. You cannot be part of this group anymore. 
if you see it, you can. Um, so it's a bit, it's a bit strange. Obviously, this is a very, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it does feel a little bit like this. And um, at the same time, I do also understand that all is fair in love and war. You know, the the principle of no one is a perfect human being. We're in extremely challenging times, or the last years felt like a war to me or like, a, you know, a war of opinions, a war of information, a war of, of you know, a psychological war. Uh, like it's been extremely challenging to keep um, your head up high and obviously in a, in, in a positive mindset. So everything that's happening now, again, is like extremely, well, it's, it's saddening and depressing on all levels. And um, I wish we would all be able to not have to agree all the time. You know, I don't know how else to put it because mm. I do, I do get it. I do also want to, I mean, I, it's, it's really hard to talk about this because I don't really know what the solution is or what, how, how we can end the misery, you know, how we can, what we can do to make this go away, you know, so that sure. everyone could go back to life like it was, or maybe even better, you know. So what's the solution? Yeah, I mean, that totally uh, resonates with me, I have to say. It does seem like there is a kind of no way out situation going on here. But let me um, just return to that point about authenticity because this kind of does relate to this it's like the, the ability of someone to sort of project themselves in a in a way which which kind of is authentic to them without being a kind of you know pre-constructed or certainly not overly pre-constructed obviously everyone's public persona is to some extent a construction i mean how do you define authenticity in the way that you like to i guess in the way that you like artists that you like to present themselves if you see what i mean yeah, it's good what you said, because like everything, we are personas on the outside. You have to be sellable or like you ha people have to be able to get you quickly, you know, get what you're about, you know. And um, and that doesn't mean that you're about a lot or about uh, nothing. It just means is it it's the visual or the the visual depth, you know, and then there's this other depth that there is as well that some people might not even be interested in. I think you can have a very authentic image and that is, you know, very fitting and uh, maybe still not be very authentic as an artist in the end, you know, to let's say... Well, you mean it kind of, it kind of seems authentic, but it yeah. actually isn't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, right. this, uh, this can happen. But then I'm also like always, you know what, like, is it all a matter of taste? Is it all a matter of of PR? Is it a matter of, like, it, what is real and what is fake, you know? This is another question. I don't understand what's real and what's fake anymore. And I don't understand what, when it comes to, like, many things in, in arts, in films, in, in, in careers, in, in personas, personalities, I think you were allowed to be way more of a persona, let's say in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and now 90s, and then maybe still, but it's gone down. Like how many eccentric people did we watch on television as children? 
you know, sure. really yeah. eccentric characters and artists and um, writers and people that really couldn't, uh, even if you didn't like what they said, but they, they made big cultural contributions and really made our world, you know, more beautiful um, or, or at least gave something, you know, and weren't just taking. So it's, it's really hard because there's so many people out there that have done horrible things but they also have done good things, you know? Well, you mean artists of the past who... Uh, artists of the con- past, <laughs> Whose conduct probably doesn't, doesn't fit into what is acceptable exactly. this stage, right? You know, artists of the past, politicians of the past. And obviously, I'm so happy to condemn all evil and all horrors. But it's, a, it's really difficult to, to understand. Uh, is one allowed to be authentic and say thing, things that are maybe not to the liking of many? But then you're going to get criticized for not having the same opinion because like, how, can anyone really be authentic anymore? You know? Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's tough. I think particularly in, particularly in the area that we're in, you know, particularly in dance music, which for some reason seems to be particularly susceptible to this. But just, just before, before I ask you about that, like, what do you put this kind of broader kind of funnel down to? Is it just like, is it just the increasing commercialization of everything? I mean, you mentioned that you've been a member of a socialist youth movement. Is it just about money, just infecting everything? I always thought it was just the money and the greed, but it's more than that. I think, you know, as everything is energy, I think there is, um, once something goes bad, it goes really bad, no? And then this energy becomes just wider and broader and um, envelops everything. And it's it's like the, the base, the basic, um, it's like, a, um, what do you call it? Like in, in, in classical music, it's called Cantus Firmus or like this mm. where you have, it's the, what do you call it? The baseline, the baseline. It's basically a baseline to how we have to live our life now as artists, because if just take social media, I mean, it's obviously not healthy. Yeah. It's obviously also good because you can like, um, convey brilliant, positive, helpful messages to millions of people. And, you know, I follow these like uh, amazing spiritual accounts where I love what they're saying and it's really uplifting and they get tons of likes and have tons of listeners and followers. And obviously that's amazing. No, it's also amazing that you can follow your favorite artist and see what they're up to. That's amazing. Especially just imagine if we would have had the option to, oh my God, I can follow Spandau Ballet every day on what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) At the age of 12, instead of just buying a magazine, I would have been completely, you know, like, wow. So, uh, yes, I get all of that. But there is so much, I mean, there's like literally neurosis named after certain social media, um, I don't know, apps or... Uh, or algorithms probably or something you know there's there is things that come with social media and too much phone that are extremely unhealthy and it's very strange that we are um, we have to operate with these social media apps otherwise we can't have a career very few maybe can you know but it's like what you do, it's like your window now to to the world or or to your house, basically, or to you, to you as a persona, as an artist. 
you need to have that. It's like a business card. And that is something that I find, um, I think about this every week, at least once where I'm like, okay, I'm doing this and I'm happy to give it my best and uh, whatever after years of struggling with it. And obviously I cannot change and I still want to be a DJ. I still want to be an artist. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, what crazy world do we live in? And has it always been like this? You know, were there always these like really harsh compromises that everyone had to um, adapt to? Yeah, I think there is a tendency generally to think that like the current moment is is bad compared to previous moments just generally like anyway um yeah i wanted to yeah talk about the potential susceptibility of the dance music scene to this because one of the other things i pulled out from a, a previous interview as yours was um you're being a big fan of j cole and sort of modern hip-hop i suppose is a way of putting it but you said that what really intrigued me actually was that you said that you know, using J. Cole as an example of a kind of smart MC, you said that it's possible to be smart in that way in hip hop in a way that it's not so much in house and techno. And I think you were talking about sort of expressing like through lyrics in particular there. But I mean, but is it is it a wider problem as well? Is it is just house and techno just a little bit sort of dumbed down overall? Obviously, everything's dumbed down, I guess. To go back to the... Because if you have convictions, obviously in punk times, it was like you're, you're automatically kind of political if you are if you're a punk because you're kind of against the, you know, you're in a way an anarchist or you're, you're you know, you're, you're standing for something that other people do not because you hate the system. Like, let's just be like very general, which obviously punks obviously did. And they and it was a reaction. And um I don't see the music scene or I don't see anyone going against the system anymore. You know, it's like we've become the system. We are all like part of the system. And it's like, and there is no revolting. There is no um, going against anything anymore. And also if you're going against something, you have to use all your energy to go against something and you cannot be for anything, you know. I'm just trying to be for things now and I used to I used to be against lots of stuff and now I'm just trying to be for as much as possible because I'm just thinking um if I project and manifest the best I can the best world possible then it will come about you know if I can or my energy can be infectious and can can convince other people to just focus on a good outcome and not just all the dark and negative stuff. Maybe we can get them more quickly. Sure. I mean, as you were saying that, something just occurred to me, which was that you said that no no one no one goes against anything anymore. And you know, a big change really in in culture more generally since say since the say since the you know that that period that you um you know from the fifties to the nineties, shall we say. Like that period was was characterized by these big cultural moments that affected you know just about everyone in society was was aware of them you know so you had these huge bands you had these huge movies like they just really genuinely like changed like that everyone would talk about you know and is it partly because things are things are so culturally fragmented these days that if you don't fit into this you know into the fragment in which you're kind of operating in people just assume that you should you should be elsewhere 
Is that is that is that a fair way of, of looking at it? Do you think? Yes, I guess. I mean, I get what you're saying. The so fragmented and and so many. I mean, how much niche is there today, or how much mini groups and mini? How many different needs people have? Before it was obviously more like it was more simple. But then again, I even in this, I think that the control that, that is out there, like the, the, I mean, who, let's say the money is, money is the control, back to what we were talking about before. If this, if money, if this greed, if this energy or this darkness or dark energy that money is coming from or the other way around, um, if this is basically what decides what movies get made, what music is going to be released, what what person is going to be the most popular on social media, etc., then obviously we are fucked, you know. And um, there is no uh, then the, or even this fragmentation then is is kind of is 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 follow on or lost in this again this like. Uh, greed darkness um, thing because you can just abuse or use anyone's problem or anyone's liking or anyone it could just be picked up by the energy of darkness or the energy of money and been taken advantage of and just like um, you know just used for their whatever need this is what happens anyway a lot uh, what well, a lot of corporations use the gay movement or this movement or that movement to make themselves look good. But how how much do they really care about people? How much do they really want the planet to be a better place? You know, does it make, make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, like corporations you know have their kind of their own things right and of course all a corporation cares about is is the bottom line right they care about profits the stock price or whatever so there might be people within those organizations who do care but ultimately the objectives of that of that entity are going to define what motivates it right basically so so you're right like every every kind of like positive social movement just gets co-opted by big corporations and their marketing departments right that's just what happens okay so um <laughs> i didn't quite mean to go go down the rabbit hole with this quite so much but um okay i wanted to talk about djing because despite the fact that i've had loads of djs on this show i haven't really talked about it in any detail ah, i'm not talking about djing okay well that's that's good <laughs> so <laughs> So just before we get into stuff like is DJing an art form, which is definitely a question I want to ask you, um, can you just give us a little kind of potted history of your way into DJing and you know your just general experiences over the years, like in a you know of kind of like you know a general kind of a way. So I never wanted to be a DJ. I thought I never thought that would be an option when I started more consciously listening or when DJs started to be more of a thing also like let's say in the early 90s you had like famous DJs I mean, you had famous DJs in the 80s but not so much that was probably more maybe a local thing or maybe you know at Paradise Garage or maybe some famous club in London or something or maybe someone in Paris but the 90s was more where you had famous DJs that would go around the world and play here and there 
that was more a 90s thing, no? where you started being aware of DJing is a profession or a calling and that's something to do. And then when I uh, hung out with DJs and in the nightclub scene or in the music scene in, in Vienna, in my early 20s, or well, I probably started around 17, 18, 19, and then early 20s, I would have never thought that I was going to be a DJ. Never, ever. Right. And uh, uh, I started hanging out with female DJs and um, Electric Indigo, Miss Kitten, Acid Maria, Eva Casal, and they were all excellent, or still are excellent. I mean, some of them aren't like touring as much uh, anymore, but I'm, I'm sure they're, I mean, they were just, so incredible and I really admired them and I loved hanging out with them. But I never thought I wanted to be a DJ. I loved being there. I loved watching them. I loved the music. I loved obviously how they could make a living of something they they enjoyed. And it was really not mainstream. It was far it was like really underground. You know, you could say it was underground. It had nothing. I just loved it. You you got paid in cash, you wrote an invoice, you put it in your bank. It was like a it was just a real job. There was no, you know, everything was free. You, you just felt you were part of the system. You, you, know, you had your own little world that you were operating in. And, uh, and, and I admired all of that greatly. And then when uh, Electric Indigo said to me, look, you're always coming along and you are studying every single move in the DJ booth, you know, which I didn't <laughs> even realize because I was just like watching and watching. I didn't even sometimes not even go dance because I was just watching and I was just listening to the music. I guess I was always more of a listener than a dancer as well. Oh, I mean, I was a dancer before more, before I really got to be able to be in the booth, you know? And, uh, um, and I, I realized that I was really interested in it. And then I tried to mix records. So I started to learn. I was like, fuck, this is actually quite difficult. And I was like, okay, and like, how am I going to be fucking doing this? Because I don't even, I mean, to be doing this in front of people in a club and people then they want to dance and stuff. So obviously that was like extremely challenging. And then I didn't know if I really wanted to be it because I, d I didn't really have a style of my own. And I didn't, and I was like, obviously those girls were all more techno. And I knew that I would probably like to play more house than techno. But I also really love techno. I have to say, I always loved techno. I could also listen to, I don't, I mean, I love DJ Rush and I love Dave Angel and I loved listening to Carl Cox or I loved like Jeff Mills. I loved listening to techno. I fucking loved it. Um, but I was like, I don't know if I want to play techno so much. And, um, and I was obviously hanging out more in the German techno world and it was a bit difficult for me to find my way into who am I as a DJ. And I told myself, if I cannot find my own style, my own way of DJing, then I'm not going to be doing it seriously or professionally. And, um, and I was looking to refine or hone my style and how I pick music. And then obviously uh, I, I had certain guidance and, uh, and I found certain people and and then I had I had the luck to be playing in places where I could play for hours and hours and just practice because you have to. So, so hang on a sec. We jumped jump, jump ahead a little bit there. So where was where were your first actual gigs? 
my first gigs were in Vienna and Munich and then also a bit in Geneva. I moved to Geneva for a year and then I moved to Berlin in 2003. So at what point did you feel like you you kind of established your own kind of style that you were you were happy with or happy with um as to developing it starting to be happy with my style in 2005 but still not confident enough it came like um 2006 7 8 9 10 those five years were where i'm like okay i think now i can be more confident um and then um but still not really entirely happy. I think I was more happy as a DJ later on. Like the last 10 years obviously were, were where I'm more fulfilled. I know what I'm doing more. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you had some pretty important residencies then in the period where you, where you weren't totally happy then, right? Yes. I'm usually someone that is not very happy with like... I just played in Mexico City on Sunday and it was an amazing party. And um, and I was just so, I would like, I really tried to do my best and I was like, I hope this is good enough. And um, and everyone was really happy and I was happy that everyone was happy. But I just, I was just not relaxed while I was doing it. And I just, I, I wasn't at ease and I felt like I could have done it better. And um, yeah, so that's always, you know, the thing that, the other people see and listen to and then your inner voice obviously the harsh yeah I, I, I hate those shows where you're just you, you never quite kind of like yeah as you say relax into it and yes. it's always a bit like oh god yeah awful so okay one other thing i picked out i'm just going to go through my list of things i picked out from your interviews um you're talking about dj technology and basically how you're not too keen on it <laughs> basically um at what point did you stop playing all vinyl, actually, is a question. It was a practical decision. It was the point where I I was pregnant. I had to make a decision of where to have my baby. And I didn't know where I was going to be living. And I had to move out of my house, uh, which right. in the end I shouldn't have done. We knew that better because my parents were like, okay, they were going to take over my apartment, but didn't know it. So we kind of gave it up, but then they actually took it over in the end. So I had to put all my records in storage. And uh, and I was like, yeah, fuck, this is like a harsh one, but I'm moving to LA or like moving. I mean, I'm flying to LA uh, with the father of my child, um, child in my belly in two suitcases and obviously a re- one record bag. And... Um, at my laptop and stuff and like headphones, you know, like a few gear things. But, and that's it. That's what I had. And I had no idea what was going to happen to me. I had no idea what it was going to be like as, as a mom, as a mom DJ, where I was going to be living, if I was going to be staying together with the father of my child or not. You know, it was just literally, that was the priority. And I had to like forget about my records. No, it was um, not so easy. <laughs> wow. How did that all pan out? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was really fuck. It was like the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And obviously the best thing I've ever done in my life is obviously to have my son. And it was extremely challenging. It was super challenging to be traveling with a baby son. Like I remember like a tour I did for New Year's Eve where I traveled myself alone, like from LA to... um 
It was like there were several ones where I did intercontinental with my son alone and just had babysitters in the hotel. And I would go back from the club back to breastfeeding and maybe sleeping for two hours or three if my son was sleeping and then going to the airport again next to the next gig. So I have to say it was really harsh. Already touring is harsh, but touring with a baby son, having to breastfeed and maybe not sleeping at all because he's not sleeping. And then like sitting on the flight with your son on your lap for eight hours or something <laughs> is really tough. I don't know if, I mean, some of your listeners will have, <laughs> have been traveling with babies. Traveling with a baby can be extremely challenging. Also, even if you're with your partner, you know, when you're by yourself, it's even worse, obviously. But yeah, I did that. And um, I took my breast pump to the clubs and, um, and uh, yeah, and I had to breast pump and uh, go back to hanging out or go back to the hotel or fly back home directly to my son if, if my uh, uh, ex-partner would, uh, was hanging out with him or be the babysitter, the nanny. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's really tough. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds that way. So did that change the way you DJed at all then? It did. It did. I was like, uh, and it's still, I think it was the best thing that could happen to me. I'm, um, I feel more like I'm a grown up woman now behind the decks and not <laughs> someone that is like trying to please too much, obviously, but I'm still, I'm still trying to please the audience, but I'm not, I'm not trying to please this invisible I don't know, voice or thing where you're like, is this cool? Is this not cool? You know? Yeah. 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 yeah I stopped. I don't give a shit what's cool or not cool. I mean, that's, that's definitely a positive thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be like just a bit all encompassing, can't it? That, that feeling of having, feeling like you have to do a certain thing, but you're not quite sure what it is, but you, but you know what it is, but like, you know, it just, yeah, it can be. Exactly. Because uh, it also, it's like, it's so abstract, obviously. I, I like I, I like things that are cool or not cool. And again, let's go back to fake or real, authentic, fake, um, a matter of taste. What? How? I mean, it's it's really hard to please everyone, no? So just go back to what I said about the sort of like technical side of DJing. So you're kind of a bit of a purist by the sound of things in um, like the way you actually literally just do it. Is that fair? And then how do you feel about these kind of, well, the various kind of like developments that have been actually going all the way back to like final scratch and those kind of things in the early 2000s and, and the way they changed it. And then obviously people DJing with Ableton and all the rest of it now. Like, how do you feel about that side of it? And yeah, tell me about it. I told it, like, I understand where like people like Steve Buck and, and Richie Horton were the first people that I knew that were using final scratch. And I was, I totally got they were doing it because they were like super experienced DJs and they wanted to try it and thought this, because it also gives you options to do things that you cannot do if you're just playing vinyl. And with a certain style of music, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you're like super bleepy techno, I mean, it's cool when you can loop a lot and be bleepy bleepy more, you know, so <laughs> it does make total sense to me, you know. Um, with certain styles, it just doesn't make, it's not really necessary, even though like the option of looping, I use it a lot with the CDJs and I love it. I had a loop machine, like a, these soundbite loop machines. I had like about three of them and they're unfortunately not working anymore. 
I just have to give, actually reminds me, I have to give them to someone to make, make them work again because I'm not, I cannot open things and repair it myself, unfortunately. Um, but um, those were also good to use with vinyl. And that was nice because obviously when you're looping a vinyl with a sound bite, it's different to looping with a CDJ. And it also has this very certain quality to it that I really enjoyed. Um, so those but, are just little samplers, basically. Is, is yes, they're one? little samplers. Yeah. Yes, it's exactly the same as like with the, you know, you have like two, four, six or 18 bars. And uh, yeah, it was like six little buttons and you could like also go back on them and f go forward on them. Like a really super, like ah, just that soundbite was amazing. Oh my God, I love that time with the soundbite. Ah, anyway. So yeah, that's the thing of the past. But um, the CDJs and the final scratch, I do understand why people enjoy it and they can make use of it. And especially people that have played a lot of vinyl, it's interesting to listen to them use the CDJs because they obviously do it in a different way than people that just started learning uh, to DJ with a CDJ, you know, which is obviously a weird concept to me because, um, I mean, it's just strange to know that people are not going to learn to play vinyl anymore. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about, about that? I mean, like for me as well, certainly like learning to mix records, like actual records was a really important part as looking back on it now, it's a really important part of learning of like, you know, being, a, being a DJ. Right. Um, and just as some technical side, there's the necessity to have to practice loads and like, you know, just, just the commitment to it. And actually obviously the financial commitment of buying records every week as well. So like, do you think something that really has value has been lost there maybe, or, or do you think it's just been replaced by something different and equally viable? I think, I hope, I mean, I really do hope that things can be equally uh, viable because if not, even if I don't like it, or even if I don't think it's cool, it still has to be equally viable. If not, our world is really going to shit and I'm not that negative. But um, I I do hope that, um, but I see it because all the cool new DJs, they're all vinyl DJs also, actually. There's only a few ones that are not, not saying that those are, they're not cool. But um, I think if you're just on the CDJs, you could still your skills and still learn a lot a lot about how to play a set and how to to take a crowd on a on a journey i mean obviously that is still very possible and um i think it's more that the bigger problem to be honest is to have clubs that book in a way that they used to book so that djs can actually become good djs because you're famous quickly, you're playing a two-hour set, probably never really longer. You have to just, um, you know, just fucking play a few bangers and that's it. And <laughs> yep. uh, um, and you you don't really learn to like really just uh, take a crowd somewhere because obviously the crowd is pleased if they hear the bangers and you are the star and they get what they want, yeah. But I was always like when I was started to tour a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then I was playing these certain festivals and where you basically festivals are a place where it's the banger situation. No, like 
bang 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 hands in the air shh 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 effect hands in the air an hour and a half done to us done go home and then and then you're like i don't know if i can do this a lot i find it a bit late <laughs> and um obviously it's cool it's part of your job but i did always prefer playing for longer in a in a good club with a good sound system because i could express far more and and the feeling you can create and the the energy you can exchange as you know as dj's know is just something so it's just why you're doing the whole thing and i'm not do, obviously i'm doing it now because i'm a mom of a son and what else am i going to do i'm a dj now <laughs> you know it's my job as much as it is my maybe is it my vocation i guess it, it was or is but um these gigs where you can Okay, I I remember the one time I had to play a festival. It's an outdoor thing. It's called Love Family Park. It's like a cocoon time warp thing. It's like done by uh, uh, Stefan Charles who 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 does time warp. And there were two floors. I think there was Luciano and Ricardo on the one floor. Uh, I don't know who opened up for him. I cannot remember unfortunately. And there was me and Sven on the other floor. And um, Sven was late. And I had to start at 11 in the morning. And Sven was supposed to go on at four or five. But his flight was delayed. So I had to play until like eight or maybe even nine. I cannot remember exactly. But it was definitely after six or seven. That's a long set. It's a long set and it's especially long set on the main floor of a festival where people come for yeah, Sven. For sure. And um, yeah, and I, I literally went from no one on the dance floor on this field to seven or 8,000 people. And I ca- like, I cannot explain how fucking amazing it was because <laughs> the, 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 the sound system, like the monitoring, like that the timer crew, these, this crew has, I think they're called Cosmopop, is unbelievable. Like the technical setup is fucking killer, 100%, solid, amazing. And the sound was so cool. I felt like I'm in my living room playing for myself and my friends. And first it was one and then it was 8,000 friends. It wow. literally felt like that. And I did not do one thing that I didn't want to do. And it really felt like you give your all and you take people on a journey. And I really had to. And I had to keep them happy until Sven came. And I will never forget. It is it is possible, you know, to do this in, in front of a lot of people. But the problem is you don't get the chance. Like these young, new, cool DJs are just doing the CDJs, whatever. When will they ever get to play these long sets? And I get to play them so that they're actually at one point also really interesting because they're not going to be interesting the first two years, probably, or maybe they are, but you know what I mean? Like interesting on, 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 on many levels that you also have more skills and can do more what you are trying to do. And it's not just like nerve wracking, you know? So this is something that is missing. And uh, I wonder how that is going to be coming back. Yeah. I mean, Again, what you said is like it's it's down to the bookings and which is down to ticket sales, which is down to money, right? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. we're back there. But listen, um, tell me who your favorite new DJs are. 
Ha, you know what? I have a problem. I was just discussing this with a friend. I hardly ever go out, so I don't listen to anyone. And uh, I like when I listen to some podcasts and things, I like what people sound like. Right, but, but you I don't, don't like until to, you hear them in a club. Right? Yeah, I want to hear them in a the club. I want to I want to listen to people in a club for long enough to be able to to say this. But obviously, there's the young female DJs that I I, I have listened to or I have been um, you know I like CC I like Adiel I like these girls that I've um, I've been following or Sylvie Lotto you know these there's young women that I've been following or. They were there already, like doing warm up sets, like seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, and now I see how far they got, and that's amazing. You know, I'm super happy for them. There's obviously more. There's um, people I played with. I really liked. I enjoyed playing with Balu, who's not a, a newcomer, but um, Balu is one of the organizers from the Middle Beast Festival in Saudi Arabia. Um, and we played together an after party in Bahrain after, and it was a crew of, 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 you know, Middle East DJs and ravers. And it was super, super cool to play. Like, I think we played back to back for seven hours at this after party. And that was really, really nice. And that was cool to like go and hang with people. You had no idea about, no idea that they, I mean, obviously you have an idea that something else exists, but not like that. So that was really lovely to meet people that are from a completely different background, completely different like uh, world. And then you end up having this same tracks maybe or liking the same music and you end up just spending time with people you didn't know and you feel like you've known them all your life, you know. So that's um, that was very cool. Okay. So you mentioned new female DJs there. Um, I've got a question relating to that, which I, I had written down, which is, how do you respond to people saying it's a tough time to be a man in the music industry right now? Well, you know, it's 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 the same as people saying it was a tough time to be a woman in the music industry before. It's the same thing. Is it true? Is it not? I mean, is it true? It's true for some, true for, yeah, some not true for others. There's a yes and a no to it because... It was not hard to be a woman in the music industry. It's just hard to be in the fucking music industry. It's hard. Right. It doesn't matter what you are. It's just not very pleasant <laughs> at times. <laughs> and uh, and uh, even if you're even if you're the most whatever blah blah successful male DJ, uh, it's also not going to be all like you know. I mean, obviously, there's like. It's harder for some women to break into the scene. It's harder for some men right now to like break into the scene. Yes, for sure. For sure. I mean, there's everything is always true, you know, like uh, how can you say it's not true that it's not hard for women? How can you say it's not true? It's not hard for men. I mean, it obviously is, but it was not hard for me to, uh, to, to get in. It's like more, it was hard for me to, um, to, to become a very, um, you know, like to become good at what I was doing. And and it was hard for me to sustain my passion and not let the shit get to you, you know. So I think that's way harder than getting into anything. I mean, I think it's fair to say that the issues that women face in music are slightly different. 
or or there are certain issues which are slightly different yes of course i mean all issues are certain i mean there's even women amongst each other face different issues because all women are not the same you know it's like uh, the issue that i had uh, maybe to a certain degree or not um, is a completely different issue than let's say um, that monica cruiser had you know like um, we're different people we have a different um, we have different personalities people look at us differently obviously i think it's always everything to me is always up to the individual anyway i mean we're we're you know we're not just entities we're not just our sex or our bodies or you know we are more than that so i find that hard anyway to be or you're this group you're doing this for this group and you're doing that for the other group and it's like oh man like <laughs> a bit hard no i cannot speak for everyone that is uh, a woman yeah totally and those kind of generalizations are they're just a bit patronizing aren't they i mean it's the same thing with um you know when people try and put everyone of one race for example in in one particular box it's just like mm. yes this is white and this is black it's like we're white from finland or from chile or white from uh, let's say you're born i mean i know white people in barbados that are from barbados uh, are they still white i don't know <laughs> They were born there and speak like someone that is from Barbados. So are they white? Uh, yes, of course they were. Like, I don't know. It's like, it, this is all very strange. I, I, I also don't get it. It's when you go like, you know, yes, you're half black and half white. Yes. I do. I do explain it like this to just be a bit more to, to tell people, yeah, this is what it was like as half this and half that in that time. But in the end, like uh, I'm half Caribbean, half Austrian, you know, and that also still doesn't explain anything about me, really. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to try and reduce, like, the difficulties or, or advantages that you have um, as, a, as an individual in, into one kind of thing like that. It's like, I think the, the, the difficulties that most people face, I think actually the difficulties that everyone faces are mostly their own psychology, you know? Yes, it's your own decisions you make every day. This is exactly <laughs> what is, you are your own biggest enemy, you know, but... Yeah, I don't know. Other people think like everyone should be thinking the way they, they want to be thinking. And I do not I do not want to criticize if people don't um, don't think the way I think. It's just it's just uh, it's it's never been helpful for me to be boxed into something. And it was like more damaging as a child. Like, yes, as a girl and as this on top of being a girl, you're going to have a really hard time in life. No one's going to like you. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, just imagine you, you tell this young to young people, oh, you're this and you're that. You will see everyone is out for you. You're not going to be liked by anyone. It's like, whoa. OK, maybe go back and try and um, <laughs> change how you speak to young people and tell them they're going to be loved and then maybe facing challenges. But um, they can come, you know, overcome any any of it is maybe the better method. But other people might think differently. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's so just deterministic, isn't it? When you, especially especially to kids, it's like. Mm. Anyway, I wanted to ask you the the DJing is art form question. <laughs> yes, um, that's good. But but I, when I was when I wrote it down, I was just like, well, actually, I don't really have a very good definition of what an art form is. So it's a bit of a I don't know. I, I don't have a very good answer to it myself, to be honest. But do you think DJing is art? No. Why not? Well, I think I always I feel like a DJ is you're part of the service industry. You know, <laughs> right? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. 
and uh, and maybe because my 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 parents used to have a restaurant and uh, maybe that's why I think that way and I grew up a bit with nightlife and I grew up a bit with festivals and concerts and and things like this and uh, uh, and parties so where you see you have to you have to make people happy they come they buy a ticket to not hear you perform but to get what you're good at and to make them dance you know to entertain them which obviously performance isn't entertainment but it's, it is a difference to be like you know I'm I'm a DJ I'm not performing a fucking Beethoven sonata I'm not saying fucking you know in <laughs> Beethoven is bad I'm just saying I think you're more of an artist if you're performing a musical instrument or uh, um if you're singing, if you're doing something more live, I think that's more of a, of a artistic or of a performance that still has to entertain, obviously. But um, as a DJ, you don't have you're still live, but it's not it's not a performance as such. I mean, it makes it this makes sense to me, but other people could obviously see it differently. So. I don't think it's an art form. I'm there's some very maybe there's some super artistic DJs, you know, that like DJ like artists w- would DJ more or have their own um, signature and are more maybe more like don't go about a set like a normal DJ would go about the set, you know. It's like when you when you go and listen to Aphex Twin at Space. I remember listening to him as a DJ. Like a, obviously an Aphex Twin DJ set. It's not going to be a, a Danny Howells, Carl Cox, um, you know, uh, John Digweed, um, let's, or Jeff Mills DJ set. It's a different one. Well, I suppose it's like the difference between like arts and crafts, right? I mean, DJs always struck me as being more of a craft, right? But you can always, you know, you can take, you can take crafts to, a, to an extremely elevated level, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I, you know what, like, and I have no, I mean, this is why I like DJing. I like it because it's a craft. It's like, so it's like you're producing something with your hands. It's very fulfilling as such, because it is this crafty thing. And I'm, I'm proud to be arts and crafts. You know, I don't, I don't need to be an artist to feel I'm cool as a DJ. You know, I don't, I don't care. I just, on the contrary, I'm like, I'm really, I pride myself in like, the craft of the DJ. I pride myself in mixing and I love mixing. I think mixing is the best part of the whole fucking DJ set for me. Like every single mix is like, and how you can mix and how you can make certain things, turn the mix into a fucking something that really lifts people into another dimension. You know, I think that's like amazing. And um, there's nothing better than that. So I'm really proud of, um, being a conservative DJ arts and crafts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, well, having talked about DJing, then let's let's talk about m- music that you've made because uh, in that respect, you would probably be accurately described as an artist, I guess. So, tell me about um, getting into making music. I mean, I'm, I want to talk about your album, which came out in 2016, but. I actually made a second album, but it was not released as an album. So, oh, really? Yeah, my last, my last, like the two releases on Housewax. Oh, there was supposed to be an album, really? Okay. All right, well, we, let's, we can talk about that. But um, t- tell me about how you, like, how you kind of got your um, 
how you made your bones, as it were, in the studio? Oh, I, I don't think I've really made my bones. Like, I'm, I'm very unhappy with myself as a producer. And um, I don't really call myself a singer, but obviously you put it there in your bio because, like, I like singing and I like singing to my music. But the, the thought, like, maybe once upon a time I could have been a singer when I was really more into it and, like, practicing a lot and, like, trying to do my best singing. But um, I kind of gave that up. And... And I always thought producing and DJing is something that is like more that you will be happy with on the long run. And uh, um, yeah, and like, unfortunately, I'm not so happy with um, because back to like uh, moving and giving up and having a baby, you know, it's uh, and then touring. It's really hard to um, to work on music. And work work on your skills as producer if you're if you're on the road a lot and you just had a baby. Yeah, I mean, fair enough, fair enough. So I'm a bit. Uh, my son is older now, and um, you know, I, like uh, I have given myself like this year, next year to fucking brush up my skills and um, and to take it to a ne- next next uh, level. <laughs> not maybe not the next one if the next one is supposed to be a better one. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not so happy. I mean, I was very happy when I had my mini studio in Berlin in my living room. And uh, and I am not a person that enjoys a studio. Yeah. I'm uh, more a person that, like, I don't want to go somewhere and be somewhere by myself. And, like, I loved it to have it in my living room. I love to be in the house. Yes, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because I've, um, in the last year or so, had I've got a home studio now as well for the first time in about 10 years and I, it's so much better. I have to enjoy it so much more now. Yeah, it's a huge difference. No, it's like, uh, I don't know, some people love the other way around more, but yeah, I just feel like you're, it's like more part of you and your day and your house and the way you live and it's more integrated and it doesn't feel so much like... Um, oh, I'm going to the office now and I have to be productive. It's, yeah. It feels like you can be, it's like, it's more, it's more um, uh, immediate and direct and uh, easier. But uh, I, I don't have a studio right now. I just have my computer and I just want to be with my computer. I have some machines that I'm, well, I ruined a profit, which is like to, I mean, <laughs> my friend nursed it now. Um, for like the last five years and he keeps telling me what else I did wrong and how fucked it was and uh, what did you do to it well I left it in its box and the box you know the, the foam the, the the right started getting like really old so it was crumbling into the profit into oh, all the keys yeah. and everything so it had it needed major clean. I mean it was the worst thing you could possibly do to a beautiful sim. <laughs> But um, that's what I did. And um, yeah, I, f- I feel bad. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm probably not going to get it back because my friend is never, ever going to give it back to me. Um, and I kind of like, it's like, okay, I, I still have my 808, my 909, my ex-husband has. I didn't ask it back. Again, maybe because I still felt I felt bad <laughs> uh, for for leaving my ex husband, so I guess uh, he he got to keep the nine or nine. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I never asked it. I never asked it back. It was not a very um, uh, it was not a very like it was not a, the usual one. It was 
I meddled with one where the some guys from Detroit, I don't know who it was, they put their own extra special. Um, I, don't, I can't even remember. I haven't seen it in over 10 years. So I don't even remember what it was, but they kind of, what you call it, they customized it themselves. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird sounding 909 uh, for parts. And um, yeah, so I, I only have an 808 and like two synths and stuff, and that's fine. And I don't want to have machines and uh, uh, I'm just happy with my laptop. And I, 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 I'm happy that I can go to people's studios and work uh, with a sound engineer, work with other producers and we work together on tracks. And I also discovered like, um, you know, the, well, my ex-husband was, in, he's still mixing records, but I think it's always cool as a producer, like from how I was, I like to then take it somewhere else for mixing because I don't understand. I just love it. I did that with my, the last album that is not an album with the tracks, the house wax tracks. I had them mixed by Stephen Barkin and it was very interesting what he got out of it. Also, my album was mixed. Um, so so you, so you were there, sorry, you were there when it was, when the mix sounds were going on. No, I wasn't there, but I just, I got the result. We were discussing it and I just, I got the results and I just, I was like, yeah, man, that's really cool. Especially with a voice. I like, you know, voices are a bit, um, depends on what you want, but especially if you're going for a more classic house thing, Hmm. I guess it's better to go to a pro. Yeah. And like you say, you learn so much working with someone who actually knows what they're doing <laughs> completely I, that resonates with me yeah I mean I used to, I used to go um I used to go to mastering sessions actually and learn so much from just sitting there and watching the mastering guy do yeah do his thing it's a, it's very interesting because I remember having like um talks about this with Mark Anestis where you know I mean obviously he's an amazing producer and I love his studio setup and how he works it's just very cool and um, I also liked, I, I also loved seeing how Shed works. Uh, that was also really nice because we just did a track together and I just, we we're just recording some voices in his uh, studio and he has a studio at home. And that was really cool and how he works. And I just, I just like the simple, the simple thing. I don't get the, all the machines and all the, you know, extras because it just, I find it more oppressive. I find it, I have to use all of that. What if I'm not going to be using it? And then it's just like lying about and it's just, it's it's too much, um, yeah, pressure I find. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm boring as a producer. No, I mean, it's, it's always about what works for you. You know, that's always the most important thing. It's like, there's a, there's an, there's an infinite number of ways to make music and it's just about finding the, the process that gets the best out of you creatively right yes and this is something that's going to be because I'm, I'm i'm going to start working on my next album this year and um and this is like obviously what is bugging me or kind of like what i'm brainstorming about my inner brainstorm say so how am i going to do this what am i going to do i have to do something that only I can do, like, I have to do my best. I have to be what I've not done before. I have to really push myself to do something special and to, to do something that I have the capability of doing. And if I, 
I feel like if I'm not gonna like I hope one day I will achieve something I'm really proud of um yeah that's like something I'm just not so like right now I'm a bit you know but maybe that's normal I mean every artist is like this I hope or not well, that's yeah, that's absolutely normal. But like the way you talked about it, it kind of sounds a little bit similar to the way you characterise your DJing true. career in, <laughs> true, in that, true. right? Like having quite a long period where you were actually very successful, but but not not super not super happy with your actual output. Yes, yeah. How strange is that? No, yeah. Well, that's got that's got to say something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Any idea what? Look, I'm tr- still trying to find out. I'm still trying to find out why it was. I mean, now because I'm I'm older now, I'm more grateful. I'm more I'm more happy. I'm more in the moment, and I've also learned a lot spiritually. And uh, you know, I'm someone who believes in in energies a lot, and I and I wasn't aware of everything that was going on. Or let's put it like this: I wasn't aware of what things were doing to me, the things that you cannot see and that you cannot put your finger on but how they uh, influenced you, you know? And now I go, I go into a room and I know, okay, there are different energies there and I have to protect my own energy. And I know I will have to, you know, you don't take things personally as much when you're older and you, you're not so, um, not so victim to things anymore. You know, you just uh, a bit you can understand things for what they are more. And I think that's really, really, really helpful now. Maybe maybe it's even normal to when you're younger or when you're like at the beginning of something. You know, maybe it's also because I'm a woman that I'm not, uh, but then all not all women are the same. That I'm not, hey, it's so cool what I'm doing. I'm like so confident. Everything is always like, yeah, hunky-dory. You know, obviously. I mean, not saying all men are like this, but men have an easier way of being like this. You know, for, for women, sometimes it's harder to be all like, me, 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 me. But then again, that's also stupid because there's a lot of women that are not like that. That's just the type of woman I was or I am. I'm not like, um, come here, look at me. I'm so cool. Look at me some more. And now I'm on Instagram. I mean, that's not me. And uh, I remember someone said to me once when they saw me DJs like, hey, I mean, babes, you have no ego when you DJ. And I was like, is that now a good thing or a bad thing? And the person <laughs> meant it was a bad thing. I think she wanted me. Uh, really? Wow. Yeah, she okay. wanted to see me more like going for it and like hands in the air or like um, being more cocky or more, I don't know, more appearing as a DJ. I didn't appear as DJ enough, I guess. Okay, so on on that album, Donna, in 2016, you covered a Prince track. Oh, yes. Oh, my God, yes. Called Strange Relationship. Um Prince is a really important artist for me personally. I just kind of slightly obsessed with him and was absolutely distraught when he passed away. Yeah, it's very strange um, because he passed away in the year the album was released. Yeah. So talk to me about Prince. I'm guessing he's quite important to you too. Look, very important to me, obviously, like uh, to anyone else, but not as important as, as like some... I discovered Prince later for me. Like when I was a teenager, I, I did like... Obviously, I like the songs, but I didn't like Prince so much. I just thought he was a bit scary and weird. I mean, he was quite scary and weird. <laughs> he was scary. <laughs> so I wasn't a Prince fan, uh, not like my girlfriends. I had like two girlfriends or a, 
a girlfriend plus a sister, a little sister. They were like such crazy fans. They went to all the concerts and they would like scream when he would appear and like really were like so infatuated with him, which I thought was amazing, obviously. But um, that was not me. I discovered him a bit later and in my late teens and then early 20s where I was listening to Prince a lot. And um, I think he was very important. I think Prince is someone like James Brown. No, maybe just maybe right now James Brown is still more important. Maybe one day Prince is going to be as important as James Brown. But they're these like prolific artists that have a very unique way of being broadly successful and uh, really changing the language of music. You know, because like James Brown is, I guess, the most influential musician for especially what we are doing for house yeah. disco, house techno even. Really, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think there would be no house music, no discos as it is without James Brown. Because he's the, the, these are the people, that, that it's a band and they play and the beat doesn't stop and the beat goes on. And it's almost like they're a drum machine, the band. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always struck me as being basically an MC. Yes, right? exactly. And he can't, he, 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 speaks he he speaks to the beat it's not like he's singing but he is singing but it's it's all matched to the beat and i think that's like something that's what, what we like you know and this is why i mean he's he's the most prolific in this way i think yeah absolutely i mean i thought i thought about the sorry go on. i was meant to talk about prince <laughs> no, that's fine. I'll talk to more about Prince if you want. But I mean, the, the James Brown thing is is is, is really interesting because I had thought about him in that kind of MC. So I've kind of like compared him in my mind to a sort of garage MC before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd never really put it together in terms of like the actual the real influence on the whole, I guess, dance disco and the whole dance culture thing. It's, it's interesting that you that you put that. Yeah, I mean, also because the drama. I think the drama is probably the most sampled. There's like one drama he had, isn't he? The most sampled of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you know, probably also the other musicians, and then also his voice. You know. This is probably still maybe maybe James Brown and the band maybe still today would be the best DJs of all could be. Okay, so with Prince, right? Well, there, there was a <laughs> next on my long list of of Cassie quotes that I've written down there. There's a quote about techno, and it reminded me of something that a Prince quote where he he's talking about funk, and he says that people think funk is this kind of improvised thing, but actually it's like extremely regimented. It's like funk is all about rules. I think is was the quote. Like you got to you've got to know the rules to, to be able to play funk. And you were talking about techno in this quote, and you say that techno is the most open form of dance music with the least rules. And I have to say that doesn't, I'm not sure if I completely agree with that. Like techno to me is something sometimes too formulaic. I mean, obviously like, you know, on, on the face of it, every style of dance music is, is super formulaic on the face of it. But like, I, I guess, I, I guess what I'm talking about with techno is less the kind of the music, but like the kind of like techno culture can be very, you know, either you're in or you're out, sort of thing. But I, maybe that wasn't what you were talking about when you when you talk. I, I guess you were talking about the music in terms of the DJ. But uh, t- tell me about it. It was. I remember a a, uh, a conversation I had with Carl Quake, and he was talking about a conversation he had with Jeff Mills that techno can be sixty BPM, but can also be one hundred and fifty BPM. I think like this, that like, techno is a maybe more like better not say open is a wide field of music. 
you know, there's certain right. different types of techno. And uh, I also just like with someone on Instagram, I had a conversation about how, um, you know, they're saying like, yeah, like a, te a techno DJ, like he likes listening to te techno and mentioned uh, a certain DJ name. And I was like, that's not a techno DJ. And I'm, I'm just not mentioning the names because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I'm just, it's not <laughs> about, fine, because fine. I don't want to like someone feel like I'm dissing the name because it doesn't matter if he's a techno DJ or not. But like to me, a techno DJ are people that are, uh, are playing 100% techno and uh, I always call myself a house and techno DJ because obviously I'm a house DJ but I also don't just play house you know so I just always say house and techno because I don't know what else to say maybe I should say house and deep warm techno or I don't know house and some techno <laughs> uh, because obviously I'm not a techno DJ either but yes you're absolutely right techno has very regimented rules and has to have them and i think especially as a dj as a techno dj you should be adhering to those rules to make the techno shine otherwise you cannot make the techno shine like it can shine that's my one problem i have with some techno djs because it needs to shine and it because it's so regimented like like you said with funk, you know, it has the the beat here has to be on here and the, the other here and da 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 da. And when you mix it, it has to be for it to be really groovy. You have to be like tight with it, and you have to be quite, you know. If you just like if we say like pure techno techno, like like Jeff Mills or DJ Rush or or you know these people yeah. used to DJ or Carl Cox, you know Carl Cox in the nineties used to be like a techno DJ like that, or Derek May, where you go like, chung, fun, bing, chung, bing, 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 you know, where it was just like really fast and you go and you go and you go. And um, and that would be so fucking groovy and hypnotic. And I think that's, that's the, for me, um, I mean, you don't have to play techno just like that, obviously. Again, techno there's a, is wider and I've listened to techno sets that can be eclectic. And is Lorangani obviously is a super mixer, but he doesn't play uh, uh, techno like this because he also plays a wider range of music, you know? So yeah. I'm like literally just talking about techno, techno, techno. And, um, and I think that's the brilliance about techno when it's, when it's mixed well, it's just fucking major hypnotic and amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd be hard pressed to convince the, uh, the black t-shirt crew that techno can be 60 BPM but maybe you could probably yeah i mean because it is you know when when let's just just say warp is techno or back then it was called techno before it was called mm. intelligent dance music <laughs> because like just talk to autica i mean they would think they're techno artists i would yep. I, I would think they're techno artists but all their music is not like 150 bpm you know this new hard techno thing i have to say i'm struggling to get my head around a little bit yes me so, too me uh, too me too it's, it's <laughs> difficult for me too i mean look I, I the thing is i really like gabba not that i have lots of gabba records but i i have some bits of some techno artists that are kind of emulating gabba and like playing with that image i really and i've been to gabba parties and i really love it if it's done well Obviously, it was also very big in Holland, and I had a friend who was really into it. So, I got explained everything, and I got I got a feel feel of it, and I really do enjoy it. Because, but again, it's very regimented, and you're taking the right drugs, and you're then on the dance floor, and you're like you're going for it, and they're doing it well. It's 
fucking amazing yeah but you have to be obviously open to that experience but it's not um but that's i mean that's gabba i mean it's cool yeah but not for everyone this so fast and like very hard for me automatically is not something i do not like because i really love industrial music i don't know what it is that sometimes where i'm like what you just said i also am not so i've not warmed up to all of it really because i don't first of all i've not spent enough time at the parties and the other thing i don't like about this new techno movement which obviously i I love the new techno movement. I'm happy there's a new movement and I'm happy there's so many young people in the clubs. What I do not like about it is is that it comes with um a bit of a cult feeling of you have to look a certain way, be a certain way and um and it's it's not open for me enough. And then I was thinking, you know, okay, but like mods were dressed like this or punks were dressed like that and the hippies were, you know, every music scene comes with a certain look and maybe I should see more like this. Yeah, absolutely. There are plenty of precedents for it, but I think the difference maybe with maybe the difference between what we're comparing it to is that the kind of acid house, the kind of rave movement was a bit different to that there generally weren't kind of those kind of underlying rules to it and the whole point of it really was that anyone can get into this anyone can get home from work on a friday go to a rave and it doesn't matter who you are what you look like all that kind of stuff and i talked yeah talked about this with um guy called gerald on the show actually and i was i was trying to because i'm a bit young i didn't go to those early hassle parties i was far too young in fact but i want i dug into it with him and i wanted to know whether it was actually true that all those stories were you know were, were accurate was it was it really like the legend says and he completely confirmed that it was he was absolutely adamant that you know which was quite affirming for me i'd say Yeah, I that's also what I heard or what I would think or what people had told me in the past. So, yeah, this is something that I really also liked about disco that everyone seemed to like it and uh, everyone seemed to be in the club. And it was not just one type or genre of person. So, yeah, I just I just, I just yeah, it's but back to the thing in in general, we have way too much division going on right now. And um we should all be in the club together so now we're on this topic actually i wanted to ask you about my burkheim panorama bar obviously because you were one of the first residents of panorama bar but like actually the, the way the burkheim has, has developed it's kind of being it's now a big part of this whole the whole black t-shirt thing um probably to their frustration to an extent i imagine but yeah tell me about tell me about what it was what oscar was like and you know how did you um How did you become a resident there, actually, is a, is a good place to start? Um, I played um, the Oscar was, I mean, uh, Bergheim. I didn't play at Oscar. I was only a guest at Oscar, which was amazing. I loved it. Oh, my God. But uh, um, um, uh, I was, it was open for a week and the Fridays were the label nights and uh, the Saturdays were the open nights with a mix of DJs and maybe go into Sunday, maybe Max 11, max midday, max, probably not. And it was really cool to have your label night and play there on the Friday. It was not cool to be there on a Saturday. Um, well, which is obviously not true, but like this is how you could view it. And um, 
I was obviously not cool and I was playing there on a Saturday, which was really nice. Um, but I started off playing for Luciano, the Cadenza night. So the first Friday was a playhouse night. I remember Heiko Emmes always playing and Ricardo. That was the fir very first night Panorama Bar was open. I think Burkhan wasn't open because Fridays was just the label night, just upstairs. And then Saturday was upstairs and downstairs plus Burkhan. So uh, I played for Luciano for his Cadenza night, the very first one. And after that, they like Michelle said, okay, yeah, you're playing every month or every week or every other week. And from then on, I, basically, I spent a lot of time in that club. And, um, um, and I played the Saturdays, like different slots. The one from 12 to 4, the one in the morning after the guest DJ and... And then, you know, the ones in the morning, the, those sets were going longer and longer and longer because people stayed longer and longer. And they had to be different with the door. They had to get a new sound system. It wasn't sounding good. You know, things were like upgraded eventually or bit by bit. And like uh, two years later, Sunday was really cool. And, um, and I would literally play any time from saturday to sunday but it probably stopped at five in the evening or maybe six you know yeah it's kind of gradually got later and later, it over got the years, later hasn't it? exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that was like something that i really i i saw this development and i was like probably one of the djs that played every had played every single slot from midnight saturday to like um almost monday morning you know so yeah. I experienced this club from the, I mean, that floor from the very first uh, second. And um, and um, that was amazing. I experienced it with the old sound system, with the new sound system, with the new sound system regulator, with the new, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, that was just, uh, it was fantastic to be able to, to play in a room that you know so well, just intrinsically, your body and everything, your DJ senses were just you know, you just knew what it was going it, to... It's just different when you're walking into a club and it's the beginning of the night and no one's been in there for hours. Or you, you're you going into a club that everyone's been sweating in for like 20 hours. Yeah, that, those ones are my favourite ones, I have to say. When you walk in there Absolutely. like just before <laughs> and people are just wrecked. It's wrecked and it's the best sound. I was like, literally yeah. just talking about like how how like the density of the bodies and the like and the air the humidity and everything is an added factor of value to your dj set and and i thought that this was like extremely fascinating how um how i like i just i was so happy to to be able to get to see all of this you know and to um to be able to develop how I DJ, I mean, it was basically my dream. I guess the, the, the time I wasn't unhappy as a DJ touring a, a lot uh, was when I was at Panorama Bar, where I was like always the happiest uh, as a DJ. And that was extremely, it was hard to go around the world than trying to play somewhere else. And like still, you know, like not that I didn't enjoy it because I always told myself, you're a professional DJ, you have to be able to make it work everywhere. If you didn't do a good job, you still need to learn certain things, you know. 
and um, it was just difficult when people would go like, eh, can you play like a panorama band? And I was like, no, you can't play like a panorama band. It's like, oh God, fuck off. You know, I mean, you get to hear all this bullshit where you're like, fuck me, how am I going to be dealing with this? I don't want this. It's like, um, but obviously, I don't want this. Sounds stupid, but I would like to be able to adapt quickly and be able to make people happy. And I don't want them to have to come up to me and tell me this, you know. But uh, um, every time on a Sunday, I would be able to go back once or twice a month and uh, and feel like, have my ah moment you know where it was just one long big exhale where I had like four or five hours where all the frustrations from anywhere else I could just literally rid myself of playing for the people and just like being there with them and um uh yeah so that was fucking amazing I have to say and that was my happy place for many many years yeah absolutely it's definitely my one of my happy places too tell me um has the crowds changed at all or and if it has changed in what kind of a way has it changed from those very early days because obviously like they've maintained the door policy which is super important but you know given that it's like quite a famous place now like how is it how has that side of it changed so the people are completely different I, i was there as a guest twice and the last time i played um it's still super fun for me to DJ there. I still really enjoy it, obviously, because it's just like, it's, a, I mean, people go there to party and dance and listen to a DJ. So that's super cool. I'm obviously not so happy about what people look like, but then, you know, I'm older now. Maybe I should just also not care. I just, I just don't like that people care so much what they look like, you know? They really get like outfits that they think they have to wear at Berkheim, which again is also cool that like people are making an effort to look a certain way in a club. You know, it's, that's also cool because, you know, when I go for dinner and I put some makeup on a dress and high heels because I, I want to look a certain way, that's, I mean, why not? You know, it's just not cool when it's a uniform of people think, not that the club says you have to look like this, but people think they have to look a certain way. That's something that um, I prefer when we were there at the beginning where anyone would just wear whatever. And, um, and like, yeah, the people have changed, obviously, because a lot of Berliners were still going out and you would see the same faces, you know, and you could go out by yourself. And obviously now, I mean, time's gone by and people have families and, and jobs and things and cannot go and party every weekend anymore. <laughs> so obviously that's just, you know, you won't, meet any familiar faces but maybe if you start going there every weekend now again you know maybe you will get into it and see the new uh, faces and the new thing that is cool about it you know so um yeah it's changed a lot but i've not experienced it enough to really go um to really know exactly what's good about it now you know i just know it's good it's good that you know it's fucking pumping people are there to listen to a dj and that's cool and that should be good enough you know um obviously i wish it was still a bit more less popular obviously and it was a bit more like it was those two or three amazing years obviously but that's my nostalgia then again i'm also not the person that 
that goes like, oh, it has to be like that, only like that. And just like, oh, these were the best days. And that was the, no, I'm not like that, you know? So I also, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about Ibiza. We're running a bit short on time. So maybe a question that just flew into my mind really was, um, I mean, you've been a Circa Loco resident and you've certainly played there an awful lot. And Circo is probably like the closest thing that there is in Ibiza to um to a Berlin club, even though it's very different, obviously. But it's probably the the nearest thing you'll get. But how would you? Well, is is that a fair comment? And then how do you see the kind of comparisons between those two things? Well, it's interesting because when I played a lot at Panorama Bar already, like like in the mid phase of it, I started playing a lot at Circo Loco. So that was kind of challenging sometimes to go from a Sunday to a Monday. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I wow, ouch. The, the good thing about the uh, Circo Loco was that it was, um, especially the backstage, You, it was more of an industry thing, I would say. Hmm. It was more of that you would have more DJs hanging out from all over the world and a mix of DJs that you would have never met in Berlin. Mm. also playing because Berlin is a very like purist changed a lot as well but like certain DJs would never come to Berlin you would never be able to see them or hear them uh, um, now it's different so already I remember also saying to 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 Michelle I said look I really want to uh, play for Cocoon because I will be able to play clubs and floors and play for people I would never ever be able to to play for in Berlin and play with people and that, that would be so fucking good for me as a DJ you know I just I really want to do that and uh, have these experiences and he totally understood what I I meant and which was also good for me as a DJ again at, at Panorama Bar so Circle Local gave me this um, connection to a whole DJ world and Ibiza, also playing for Cocoon before, I would say the, the, the same. It gave me this access to the international DJ world that is not just the underground, but is just a certain, maybe also not really the commercial world, but like something the more like broad DJ world. And that I, I always thought was really interesting. And it was interesting to hear people DJ that have not like, raved in Germany, you know, that have mm. raved in, in England, for example. And because you didn't get to play together with the people somewhere else in the world, you were probably more grouped with the people that you would already play with. So I think in Ibiza, it was more, it was more colourful. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's a funny place, Ibiza, isn't it? It's very much its own thing. It's not really comparable to anywhere else, I don't think, as a kind of place to go out. When did you first go there? The very first time I went, there was not for a party so that was in 90 i think my very first time was 95 but to go out and sit, to easter time not just to really enjoy the island because i went to visit my he was like the guy I'm, i was dating at drama school he grew up in ibiza he grew up like um, he was like an expat kid in ibiza so that's why i got to see the island first so and i got a feel for it and I remember that like one of the friends of the family that I was hanging out with was a club owner from Switzerland. And he had like a, a, a girlfriend that was like a total party chick. And, and she was like there to rave and stuff. So um, I kind of I, I got 
a feel for it a bit uh, when I was there just by people telling me what's going on. But then the first time for a party, I went to Disa 10 and to Cocoon just as a guest, I think was in 2003, four. The first time I went actually was um, was to play. I literally got off the plane and went straight to space. It was extremely weird. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. crazy. Anyway, um, this has been great. Thank you so much for doing it. It's been, yeah, super fun. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for all your cool questions. Yeah, that was Cassie and very enjoyable conversation to have. I think you will have enjoyed it too. We got into some pretty meaty stuff from the get-go there, actually. And it was great to get her take on the early years of Berghain and Panorama and how that all developed as well as all that stuff about expectations placed on people and the insular nature of scenes and how the actors within them see themselves and see the other people within those scenes. Yeah, super interesting. Really enjoyed it. Thanks to Cassie. And um, yeah, of course, another one of those next week. But just before we go, note to say that, yeah, I have a, a tune out, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Got you now this week. It's a collab with Bakongo, aka Roska. It's kind of on a hmm post dubstep kind of a tip. So if that's your cup of tea, then check it out hotfresh.bankant.com this Friday, 27th. Thanks to everyone supporting the Closet Ye release. The first single from that, Heavy, came out last Friday. And there's two more dates for that, middle of June and then the 1st of July for that Simmer EP by Closet Ye out of Seoul, South Korea. Really excited to have her on the label. She's a really, really talented producer. So um, yeah, lots more to come from her, I hope, over the coming months and potentially even years. So yeah, okay. I think we're we're just about done here. One more appeal for a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hit that five-star button. Really does help. Join us in the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord and follow the Spotify playlist link in the show notes to that playlist. All the music that gets discussed, or most of it anyway, as well as all the episodes. So anyway, this has been great. Episode 20 of the Not A Diving Podcast done, ticked off. I'll check you back here, same time, same place for the next episode. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 